Amen. Amen. Right, so just uh, before I speak, as I said, I'm going to speak about the fact that we are jars of clay. I don't know if you've got the thing. I'd like to put it up just so you know that you don't forget what I'm speaking about. But I'm going to speak about the fact that God has created us as jars of clay because when I, when I started preparing for this morning, sometimes it's a wrestle. I don't always like preparing messages, and the biggest reason for that is to figure out what God wants to say. But as I just um, sat down to start preparing, I felt like this was what God wanted to speak to you about, the fact that we are jars of clay. And I want to dig into that in a bit because it really is it's, it's humbling to know that we are jars of clay, which is a fragile thing. But also, uh, it's, it's, it's empowering to know that God has chosen us fragile human beings to carry His glory. And so I'm going to speak about that in a moment. But um, just in, in preparing, I thought, you know, sometimes when preachers stand in front and they speak to you, they share all the inspiring testimonies of their lives. They prayed for the sick and they were healed. They laid hands on a dead person and that dead person was raised. They preached and thousands got saved. And I don't know about you, but that is encouraging. But sometimes all I think is, oh, that's nice for you, but I'll never get there. Anyone ever been there before? We hear someone, and I've actually found it so encouraging when people stand up and they share their weakness with us as well. When a preacher stands up and says that they are not perfect, we all know it. I mean, besides some people, they look quite perfect. But most people we know there are imperfections. But when someone actually stands up and says it, I've found that something in me gravitates towards that person because I think, well, if, if, if they can serve God in their weakness, then maybe I can serve God in my weakness. And I found that to be such an empowering thing. And years ago, I read a book of a guy who planted a church in the Philippines. And uh, the church at the moment is, is over 50,000 people big. They have seen multitudes getting saved. They've seen salvations by the thousands. Seen incredible things. And I read this story as a young guy wanting to go into ministry, wanting to plant churches, having this desire, feeling like I need to be perfect in order to carry the glory of God, and reading this guy's biography, in a sense, just opening this book and reading his life story. It was so interesting for me. What happened was they took a group of about 50 or 60 students to the Philippines from the United States. You know, all good things come from the States, they say, which is not true, but they say it anyway. (laughs) But they, they went from the United States, and they did a two- or three-month outreach where they, where they rented all, and they kept evangelizing every day, got people to this venue, and in the evenings, they would have meetings and see people getting saved. And at the end of this time, a, a, a group of about 50 or 60 Filipinos got saved. And they went back to the United States and then had a meeting and said, well, what do we do now? Like, we can't not plant a church. There are new salvations here, new baby Christians. We need to do something about it. And they were a core team in the church of a a few people. And it was so encouraging for me. What this guy said is, he was not the one to step forward to say, I'm going to plant this church. He said, everyone stepped back and he was the only one left standing. And his words were that he feels like the most unqualified person to go and do something for God in the Philippines. Everyone else just chickened out and he was the one saying, I'm not good enough, but maybe I'll do it. And I wonder whether his attitude, an attitude of humility, his attitude of saying, I cannot, but maybe through me, God can, whether that is not why they saw the success that they did. See, we can all stand up and think that we, that we wax eloquent. We, we think we can, we can do it well. But if we come to a place of humility, I think God's glory can shine through us so much more. And it's a work of the Spirit bringing us to a place of humility. So I want to read you the scripture, which is what I'm basing this message on this morning. 
about the fact that we are jars of clay. And it's in, in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. Paul is speaking, and I'm not going to go through all of it, but I'll explain the context a bit. And he says the following. But we have this treasure, the treasure being the glory of God, the gospel of God. Just, just God with us is the treasure that he's speaking about here. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And after this, Paul goes on and he, and he, and he shares his journeys of defeat in a sense, his difficulties that he went through. But the, the, the pinnacle of this, this uh, part in the Bible is the fact that he speaks about the fact that we are jars of clay. Now, you know, sometimes when we read the Bible, we don't completely understand what they say. For us, a jar of clay today is a, is, is a piece of art, right? It's a bit of wonky wear in your house that you paid a lot of money for at poetry. But back in the day, in Bible times, a jar of clay was a very common household object. They didn't have the technology that we have to, available today. So if you, if you needed anything to carry something of substance in your house, it would be made out of a jar of clay. Your water, your food, your milk, your wine, everything would be in a jar of clay. And the fact that they made it so frequently meant that these jars of clay were actually quite fragile. So they would break quite often. So even later in the Gospels... Um, uh, I can't remember exactly where, it's just in the back of my mind there, but it's, it speaks about the potter's field. I can't remember who it was, someone, someone died there, or I don't know, Judas died there or something, I can't remember. It speaks about the potter's field, and that would literally be where the potter would throw all his broken pieces of clay, after the pots were made, they would throw it onto a field, because there would be so much, because these things were so brittle when they made it. And so here comes Paul. And he speaks, about, he speaks to people and he, and he wants to empower people to be able to carry the glory of God. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a person that can carry the glory of God. I want God to shine through me. I don't want to be seen. I want him to be seen. I want to do something for God with my life. I've just this, this thing has been stuck in me the last while. Someone said it. I don't even know who. Said, life is short and only what is done for God is what will last. Oh, and that thing has been in my heart the last while. I'm like, I'm doing so many things. I'm raising kids and I'm, and, and oh, just life goes on and you, you're leading a church. And even within that, just the thing that's resonating in my heart is I want to live a life where I do things for God because that is what will last. If I can shine the glory of God, show the glory of God. And then Paul wants to encourage people to say, you are able to carry the glory of God, but how does he do it? He says, firstly, remember that you are a jar of clay. You are fragile. You are brittle. You are not supposed to be perfect. And if you think that you are a steel, so I don't know, what do you call it? My English is, like Afrikaans, ne? What? A submarine? No, not a submarine. Bad joke, Dave. Bad joke. I'll write it on the feedback. That was a bad joke. But if you think that you are something else, if we think too highly of ourselves, I think we actually shoot ourselves in the foot. And maybe today, I, I want to release you to say, God can shine in your weakness. Not God can shine in your weakness. Actually, God will shine through your weakness and wants to shine in your weakness. If you are able to come to a place where you admit that you are not perfect, but you are a jar of clay. Because pride is in every one of us. And all of us think that if we want to do something for God, we need to, we need to look a certain standard. And Afrikaans we speak about klein christenen en groot christenen. 
It's the most silly thing, small Christians and big Christians. They'll say, yes, the big Christians, they do those things, but I'm just a normal Christian. And biblically speaking, that is not, that's not the reality. The reality is that all of us can do something for God, and all of us do have brokenness in our lives. We just don't see it. Some people hide it much better than others. But all of us have brokenness. And I believe what Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to get you to a place of seeing the fact that, yes, yes, you've got brokenness. Yes, you need to work on your brokenness. But even through your brokenness, God's glory can be carried. So a little bit about my story before I um, read you another scripture of Paul, because I think God had to work this thing in him deeply. In the same way, believe if, if we want to carry this revelation and, and not limit ourselves from being able to carry the glory of God, God's going to have to do a big work in us. So this is a little bit of my, of my testimony. I don't know how much of it I'll share. Um, I've only shared this once with our congregation, spontaneously felt God speaking to, to me um, about this. But I, I, we planted Stellenbosch PM congregation in, I must remember now, 2020. 20, yes, 2020. You guys were there, I think, just after. Just after. Remember sitting in my lounge with Gala, just visiting, and then he had this dodgy girl from YWAM wanting to go to YWAM that came to visit. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we... Um, we planted the church in 2020, and before that, uh, planting a church was really the way that I felt God was calling me to extend His kingdom, and that's different for every one of us. God wants to use you in, an, in a unique way. For some of you, it might be church planting. For some of you, it will be through your children, through your work, through deaconing, through eldership, through worship leading, through reaching out, being an evangelist, through pastoring. There's many ways that God will put a sense of how he wants you to carry his glory, he'll put that sense on your heart and you'll start living that out. And so I had this sense that God was calling me to plant a church. And you know what it's like? God needs you to first come to the end of yourself and, um, and not want to do it out of your own strength. And so I remember for the longest time, there would be opportunities to potentially go plant or lead one of the Josh Chen churches. And it would come and it would go. I remember names like you going to Durbanville. You're going to go, go lead at Durbanville. And I got excited. Yes, God's going to, he's using me, but he's going to use me to, to a full extent. He's going to use me there. Actually, remember at some stage, City Bowl was on the cards to come here. And thank goodness for all of you. God spared you from me. That's just a joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> but City Bowl was on the cards. Edgemead was on the cards. There were just so many. There, there would be talk. I would hear via the grapevine. They want to send me somewhere. And I would get excited. And feel like, yes, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry your glory in a better way. And, and then it would be taken away. And I remember one day, um, one evening, I had a dream. And in this dream, I was on a, I'm not going to share all the detail, but I was in a big farmhouse. And Carla and I were married at that stage. It was just a, a while before we actually planted Stellenbosch PM. And I had a dream where Carla was giving birth to a child. We didn't have any children at that stage. So life was a little bit less complicated than it is now. But she, she was giving birth to a baby. And I was so excited in this dream. And I stood in a big farmhouse with a lot of people around me waiting for this baby to come, to be born. And as, uh, as I was waiting for Carla, one of the workers on the farm came into the room. And as he came in, 
I just saw in his face that something went wrong with the birth process. And I fell down on my knees in this dream. You know, some dreams are just so vivid. You feel the emotion. Even as I speak about it now, I can feel the emotion. I knew that she lost a child. He didn't say a word. I just knew that he lost a child. And I remember on, in my dream going on the floor, hitting my fist against the, the, the floor and just crying out saying, why, why, why? And I woke up and immediately I knew what God was speaking to me about. You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. You just, you just know what a dream means. Someone else can't tell you. You just have a sense in your heart because the Bible tells us that, that God is the one that interprets dreams. He can speak to us, to us in many ways and sometimes even in dreams. And I felt clearly that God was saying in my heart that if I allow this ministry that I've called you to to be birthed too quickly, it will be a public failure. It will fail. It will be a premature birth and it will fail in front of others. And I took heed to it, and I said, oh, God, I, I want to do it in your time. I want to be patient. And you know what? I really did give myself to, to that process of God. But underneath, there was still an area of sin that I'd been dealing with. And, um, I mean, I can say it because many of you have seen the video. And as Andrew says, you'll see that video on the last day. But sporadically, through going through a tough time, I'd been free from pornography for many years but then fell back into pornography even after we got married. And I would break free and fall back and break free and fall back. And I just knew that that was something that I did need to gain victory over before I would walk into the things that God had for me. But at some stage, the opportunity came, and I think God, you know, God's mysterious. Sometimes he even works, although, although things aren't perfect. And Staley's PM came. We took a group of, of 40 people from the AM congregation we planted the evening congregation. It was somewhere in February in 2020. Six weeks later, COVID hit. But by the six-week mark, we'd grown from 40 people to 120 people in six weeks. There was something special. I mean, it was like God was moving. And then I remember during that time, we planted a church, and it felt like, it felt like I was walking in the things that God had called me to. It felt like, in a sense, like the Midas it sounds very dodgy to say, but like the Midas touch, like we're doing this thing and it's turning to gold. We're seeing, we're seeing baptisms, we're seeing salvations. It's like, this is it. During that time, there was a couple of people who got saved and lived in Worcester and it was COVID, so we didn't have meetings or we had one or two of those 50 people meetings. And I just, my heart went out to people in Worcester who got saved with us. The first person who got saved in our congregation was back in Worcester. And I said to my wife, listen, I just feel... Like we need to go to Worcester and start a Sunday meeting there. Anyway, through COVID, just less than a year later, we went to Worcester and we helped plant the church in Worcester. And again, there God moved. And there's a church in Worcester now. And I felt like I was walking in the things that God had for me. But I knew that there was an area of weakness that I had not fully embraced. I was trying to be the person, you know, that can break through this thing on my own. I was not embracing my weakness. I was not aware of the fact. I didn't have the revelation that it's okay to be a jar of clay to be brittle, to be honest, to lean into your weakness. And uh, long story short, we went on an elders camp three years ago, September three years ago. So it's, it's nearly three years ago. And on this lead elders camp, um, I mean, this is close to home for many of you. Um, one of the elders stood up and confessed an area of sin also to do with ladies. And I sat there, and you know when God, you know the feeling, <laughs> When someone speaks and you know, oh, now God is here. And you think, it's like everyone in the room knows 
that you should be standing up and repenting too. Have you, you know that feeling? I don't know, is there anyone else like me? It's like, it feels like the spotlight is on you. You just, it's like you can't escape God's stare. And I just sat there and I thought, oh, shucks. And you know, also what we do is we try and dodge it. Yeah, I'll be a little bit weaker than I am now, but I'm not going to be weak, weak. And so I went to one of the elders who I knew I'd spoken to before and I sort of downplayed it. I said, listen, I'm struggling here a bit and we pray together. It's like, no, it's fine. You don't have to share with Andrew. The next morning, one of the other lead elders came forward and he said that he'd fallen back into pornography. And the moment he said that, I knew. Like, if I'm not going to face up in front of people, God is going to come and he's going to humble me. It'll be a public failure. And to an extent, after that, I did go through a public failure. I think God was gracious. It was the best kind of public failure, and I'm actually grateful for it. Said that was the worst thing in my life to go through. I went through a, a time of public discipline. I was stepped off of eldership. I, um, I saw your very own Liz East very regularly. Um, she did. She was amazing through the process. Andrew as well had to had to publicly repent a bunch of times. I even had to repent over Zoom to the people who weren't who weren't at church because they were with their families. Remember in the, in our meeting, I had to sit with our leaders. Gala was there. I don't know if Jean. I don't think you were there. Gala was there. I had to repent in front of the leaders, and every time it was it was the most humbling. It was the most difficult time of my life of realizing my fragile nature realizing that I'm a jar of clay and embracing it for the first time in my life. And you know what I feel like? The worst thing that happened to me was that the only thing that could have happened to me that would have been worse is if that never happened to me. It's the only thing that could have been worse. If I did not go through the toughest time in my life to realize that I need God, I need Him, and it's okay to not be okay. I want to read you a story just by the way, um, found massive breakthrough, started leading again. The church is doing phenomenally well. Um, we've gone to two congregations now. We, I'm hoping we can go to a third at some stage. Um, the other day, we were over 400 people from 40. <laughs> I just can't believe it. Last year, we baptized 100 people in the life of the church. Incredible. It was like the power of God was there and amplified when I actually stood up and I was weak in front of the church. You know what? People actually respect weakness. More than we think. We go to churches, and many of you will go to churches, and the pastor in front will look perfect. I'm telling you, run away from those churches. <laughs> run away from those churches. We don't want to have it all together. We, want, we don't want to be perfect. We don't want to look like we've got everything together. We need to be the people who can actually share our weaknesses with each other as well. And I gain respect. Every time Andrew stands up and he's, he's weak, I love it. makes me feel better. <laughs> and I respect the man more for it. But anyway, so I want to read you, so I just, yeah, so the church is doing phenomenally well. My wife and I went through the toughest time of our lives. Um, we were restored, and during that time, actually, she felt pregnant. It was with twins, so it was, just, it was just a phenomenal time of God coming in. When I was weak, God's hand of blessing came upon me and came upon us as a family. Was it difficult? I can't explain how difficult it was. I can't. I'm going to read you a scripture, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8, 12, verse 8 to 10. This is Paul speaking about his weakness. weakness. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. I just want to pause there. I'm sure that many of you, when you think of the weakness in your life, you've come to a place of saying, God, please take this away from me. Take away the lust. Take away the desire. Take away the greed. Take away the anger. Anyone? Is there anyone like me out there? Pray those prayers. 
And you know what? Sometimes a good father says no. <laughs> Sometimes a good father says no. I mean, at this stage in my parenting, the word I say most is no. It's not because I'm a bad father. I think it's because I'm a good father. Don't put your finger in the plug. Don't, <laughs> don't eat that. It's your toe. Don't eat it. <laughs> because I'm a good father, and good fathers actually say no. And here God comes to Paul, who's crying out. We don't know what this area of weakness was. People think it's a physical thing. Other people have other theories. But the point is, it was an area of weakness in his life. And God wanted him to come to a place of accepting his weakness and relying on God, going and embracing the weakness, because then God could shine his glory through him. So he pleaded with the Lord three times that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Does that mean we should not overcome our sin? No, it doesn't. But you will never overcome your sin until you are weak. You'll never overcome it. Sorry, I'm just going to pause here. This is not on my notes. But First John 1 verse 7 says, If we live in the light as he is in the light, then we will, um, what's the, then we will be cleansed by Jesus. Sorry, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it now. Then we will be forgiven of our sins. We will be cleansed. And, um, and then we will have true fellowship with one another. The only way we can truly conquer our weaknesses and truly conquer our sin is actually going there. Not ignoring it, going there. And saying, I bring it into the light. That's true weakness. Saying, for my power, God says to him, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If we are weak, then people know it's not that person, it's God. I want people to know that Leonard sucks and God is good. Like, I want people to know that. They can't think Leonard is such a great preacher, because then what about God? It's, it's so that God can get the glory. That's where we want to get to. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Stop running away. Stop running away. I actually think that as I'm speaking now, that God might be pressing on areas of your life that you've been running away from. You have not gained the revelation that when you are weak, you are strong. You're trying to be strong. And just by trying to be strong, you will never, never really be strong. It's when you come to a place of having a revelation of your weakness that God's strength can come into that place and then through that place. I'm going to give an opportunity later because I think God might be highlighting specific things here. I have no clue what it is, but God is highlighting things. Listen to this. Um, I looked for this earlier. I read it years ago, and it stuck with me. I edited a little bit. If we look at our years of of the faith in the Bible, I'm going to read you a couple of them. Noah is a guy who got drunk, and God used him. not saying get drunk. (laughs) I'm saying like... God was able to use him, even though he had an area of weakness. Abraham was very old when God used him. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abused by his family. Moses was a murderer, and he stuttered. God can't use me. I can't speak. No, Moses was used. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. Timothy was very young. David was a murderer and adulterer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Job went bankrupt, lost his family. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. 
Zacchaeus was too small. Paul hated Christians. Timothy had stomach issues. (laughs) Girls, God can use you when you've got stomach issues, right? That's a very bad joke, actually. (laughs) Timothy had had stomach issues. And, uh, And what about you? Like, what is it? Because nowhere in the Bible do I find a person where the Bible does not highlight their weakness, but then say, when they come to a point of embracing that weakness and God comes into that, then the glory of God shines through that clay, that jar of clay. So what about you? What about me? I mean, I've, I've, I've tried to be brave this morning, and it's not nice sharing these things with how many ever people. But what about you? Are you willing to go there? Are you willing to say, Lord, God, I'm a jar of clay. 